Omis, welcome to another interview of the week. This week we have a very special guest with us, none other than Sam Kazmian of Frax Finance. And as with me, as always, is Dropkick Darren. How are you going, Dropkick Darren? I'm well, Mark. I'm super excited today. We have a Goliath in the space joining us, um, fresh off the, the plane back from Dubai, ready to start shipping. How are you, Sam? I'm great. Thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. I think, I mean, I kind of want to jump straight into the origins. Um, you know, where did crypto start for you? I know that you were one of the earliest Doge uh, miners out of your dorm room at college. Can you kind of like walk us through your crypto background, you know, how, how you came to be in the space and down that kind of line? Yeah, exactly. Sure. And then, uh, yeah, you got that totally right. It's been a long time uh, since the, the Dogecoin and the altcoin mining days. So I got into crypto around 2013, 2014. I founded my first startup, Everpedia, which is kind of like the decentralized uh, crypto kind of encyclopedia in 2015. And we launched a token in like the ICO era and Everpedia is doing really well, um, raised over 30 million. And actually I'm trying to get them to do uh, Olympus Pro. So the IQ token that's on Ethereum and multiple chains, I am trying to kind of sell them on Olympus Pro to get some like ETH and other kind of liquidity, you know, for, for that token, which should be cool if we can get them to get on the next cohort and stuff. Very smart move, Sam. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an evangelizer. I, I think they're totally going to do it. And yeah, so after Everpedia in like 2019, kind of before the word DeFi and all this stuff was, you know, uh, a really big thing, I kind of started thinking stable coins and, you know, financial stuff will be kind of the next big thing. And, you know, thankfully that was, that was right. But the, the design for stable coins were, were not really that advanced, right? There was like the basis proposal. They, they never launched it. Maker was the only on-chain stable coin that was seeming like it was scaling and, and working kind of as intended and stuff. And we kind of came up with this fractional model with, with Frax and it's evolved a lot since we launched it. And one thing I'm always really kind of proud of is we, we launched in December, 2020. And since then, we've, we've held a perfect peg and we've never broken our peg. And, you know, it's, it's the first partial or fractional or like algorithmic based stablecoin, whatever you kind of want to call it, that is, I think, as far as I know, hasn't ever broken its peg. I think Terra's also done really well. So, so credit there to Doe and, and all the lunatics. And I think we're kind of the, the, uh, last men or last stablecoin standing in the algo stablecoin space, sort of. Faye is also doing extremely well. I love those guys and, and the team there. I think they're a little bit more of an over-collateralized kind of DAO model these days. But one thing I'm super proud of with Frax is like we have uh, one of the most unique, if not the most unique mechanism and, and view uh, when it comes to stablecoins. And it's been very successful. So that's been exciting. Very cool. You got to see like empty set dollar, dynamic set dollar, the basis cash. Did you look at them and were you like, oh, these are just not going to work? Like, did you think they might work or? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I had an intuition about what was kind of going to happen. And thankfully, you know, I was right. And, and we built fracks around improving all that stuff. Like one of the main premises that I always said, and, you know, you, you can see on Twitter and, and everything from, you know, last year and stuff is you can't have a stable coin without a balance sheet, right? Like the first basis and ESD designs and, and all of them. There, it's just this kind of circular, no balance sheet assets at all. And, you know, we, we were just like, how, how exactly would that even work, right? Like, it, and, and what's interesting is, you know, people went through that whole experiment and, and realized it, it actually doesn't work, right? And we originally had the idea of, we, we think that a partial collateralized kind of a fractional system will work because our intuition was kind of the same view of uh, central banks. If people have, you know, if people know the history of central banks, they target the exchange rate of, of their of their cash, essentially of their currency, rather than having redeemability against stuff, right? Because the history of central banks are like, first, everything's gold backed, right? You can literally redeem the the cash against gold, right? You could actually like, there's redeemability, right? And then the next phase of kind of central banking was like, okay, you can't redeem it for gold, but we will try to keep the exchange rates to some kind of, you know, gold exchange rate, maybe, I don't know, like a dollar an ounce or whatever it was, right? And so the thing is, you couldn't ever go to the central bank and actually go get a piece of gold from their vault, but the actual central bank goes and does open market operations, right? A term that people are now familiar with to keep a exchange rate to gold or whatever their their national policy was. And the cool thing about that advancement in like financial engineering was like, you don't have to actually keep gold anymore in in like a vault. You can actually have other assets on the balance sheet as long as you're using those to buy and sell the currency on the open market to make sure the exchange rate's the same, right? Like you can have bonds and and other kinds of like securities and, and assets there. And as long as you market make the currency's exchange rate to gold or whatever your target is, then that's how you keep stability. You actually target an exchange rate rather than uh, redeemability, right? And so that was like the next phase of, of central banking. And then the last phase of central banking was instead of targeting gold, you actually target a uh, basket of consumer assets that you want to you know, incentivize the economy to produce, right? Things like food, things like, you know, it, electronics, cars, you know, heavy machinery, things, things like transportation, you know, things like that. Very cool. I think I can see the AMOs, which we'll talk about a little later, I'm sure, as those open market operations. So maybe you can just take us through how Frax got started how did you meet Travis? Uh, was he working with you, the CTO? Was he working with you at Everpedia and you both came across? Or how, how did that kind of start? You meet everyone on the team and kind of start to get going. Yeah, so Travis and I worked at Everpedia and he's uh, he's like one of the best devs I've I've ever, you know, had the chance of meeting and, and interacting with. Jason, who's an, another core dev and, and on the kind of co-founding team, is is also a really good dev. He's from UCLA, which is around the area. We've actually it's funny, all three of us 
are from UCLA, but we didn't go to school at the same time. So it's actually totally independent how we met and coincidental that we have the same alma mater. So that that's kind of a interesting uh, coincidence. But the team now is actually, you know, slowly expanding and becoming more and more decentralized and, and active. As you guys probably see, if you're in the Telegram and community, like there's other people putting up governance votes. There's other people doing economic modeling. We actually have a, a really smart guy named Dennis. I've never personally met him, but that's kind of the beauty of, of DeFi and crypto is he's, he's really brilliant at figuring out monetary policy and essentially creating and, and proposing a lot of different ways that the AMOs can operate. It's it's growing pretty pretty quickly, right? And we're really, you know, we're really friendly to people getting involved any way that they want to. It's just the same kind of vibe as Olympus and a lot of these really welcoming DeFi 2.0 projects. Joel, before we get on to DeFi 2.0, maybe you can just uh, tell us about the first time you discovered Olympus and what your kind of reaction was and then kind of how you came to like become a partner. Yeah, actually, the, it's, uh, it's good you asked that because I remember the first time I I found it and, and the, you know, there's just one token, right? It, it's OM and, and you can stake it. So then the, the tokenized version of, of staked OM is SOM, but I didn't really get it. So instead of actually making like a, you know, like a rudimentary judgment of like, oh, like this, this thing doesn't make any sense or something, I just left it. And then I just like didn't even look at all at it. And then I looked at it again and I started to kind of understand like what it was and and what the bonds were doing. And at first I thought that maybe later there might be like a a price ceiling, right? Like like there would actually be like a price band and stuff. And then after a while, I actually thought maybe there doesn't need to be this, this thing can actually be a really unique primitive. And once I started talking to Zeus and and we had a few calls and, and stuff like that, I think he really got Frax and, and how it worked. And so there was just this mutual respect and, and uh, understanding he's a super, super smart guy. And it was, uh, we saw some really cool opportunities. And I think the main thing is we both understood the unique things about like what each other were building. So that's what really got me excited. Very cool. Then maybe we can discuss kind of what's coming up for Frax and that'd be something interesting for our listeners. I'm sure they're all keen to hear. And if you've got any alpha, maybe you've got a little alpha leak for us, that'd be cool as well. Yeah, of course. So first kind of to to review what Frax V2 was, was that one of the main things we we understood from developing like algorithmic stablecoins is you have to target the exchange rate of the stablecoin right at a peg of you know one dollar token, and what we realized is that you know you can print stablecoins right and and increase the supply as long as you can contract the supply just as easily exactly the opposite at other times where you have to actually stabilize it right. And we thought of what is that the like what's the abstract concept of that right? And we came up with these kind of algorithmic market operation modules right, and we call them AMOs, and they're kind of our uh, our thing that that we do really well is that when we design like a a market operation strategy, it's kind of like 
a like wire and volt, but instead of for yield, it's it's for controlling the supply of fracks in and out of uh, a certain protocol. And so like just as easily as we can expand the supply somewhere, we can contract the supply as well to do the exact opposite uh, market operation. So like I'll give you an example, right? So we have a curve AMO, which basically always mints fracks into curve if the price is above a dollar there, right? And it gets LP tokens when it, you know, mints new fracks and then deposits in, in there. And if the price of FRAX is slightly under $1, then it uses those LP tokens to withdraw the, the FRAX and then burn it, right? It, it contracts the, the supply of FRAX. And then so while uh, it has those LP tokens, it can go deposit them somewhere to, to get yield and essentially make the, the protocol profitable. You can kind of abstract this to literally anything, right? And as long as you have a good structure for it, for example, Another thing we do is we mint FRAX into uh, fuse pools and we basically make sure that there's FRAX to be borrowed. And then if there needs to be contractionary monetary policy, then we take out any remaining FRAX and it increases the interest rate and gets people to repay their loans and take out uh, FRAX from the open market, right? Mm -hmm. we, we started kind of doing that in FRAX v2 which was around april mayish and i think now what's cool is like you know i think it inspired a lot of people right like if if you look now there's a lot of people minting kind of stable coins in fuse and and realizing wait we can kind of do that too in in our own way right like Faye does that i think there's a uh, dollar from inverse finance like they they have like dow votes or something that that mints their stable coin there it's a little different. I think everyone's kind of done their own vision, but the the abstract concept that we kind of started was like the next evolution of monetary policy is basically controlling the exchange rate of, of the stablecoin on chain, right? Just like how a uh, central bank controls the exchange rate of, of their national currency. And so we kind of have this, this model that we can kind of deploy uh, everywhere. So like there's the curve AMO, the, the fuse AMO, and, and there's a, a bunch of other stuff. Like we can deploy idle collateral and minted fracks in, in Uniswap V3 and then rebalance it to take out the fracks and, and stuff like that. And the, the interesting thing is right now, like we essentially have to, you know, poke them and then kind of deploy them in, in order and, and things like that. But one of the things I've been thinking about for Frax V3 is that what if you actually in real time let people who are staking FXS, which is the Frax share governance token, actually control uh, the monetary policy, right? Like the, the same way that people stake, you know, VECRV, right? The curve governance token and kind of control where the, the rewards go in curve. You can kind of take a similar abstract model and actually allow people to vote where the money supply expands or contracts, right? Because we have we have a stable coin that, that the protocol is really good at keeping stable, but we don't have the same kind of gauge system for where it actually goes, right? Where kind of the, the money printer goes according to what like the governance token holders actually want. And I think what's going to be really, really cool that that no other you know protocols even tried or or thought of is for v3 if 
VEFXS holders, which are the, the stakers of the governance token, can essentially vote on, okay, the, the supply of the money supply needs to increase. Where does it go? Does it go into the fuse pool, uh, Tetranodes fuse pool, where a lot of OMIs can, can borrow dollars for cheap, right? They can borrow fracks and, and bring down the interest rate there. Does it go into the, the curve AMO, which, uh, needs to expand the supply? And then that lets the, the LP tokens earn some yield through convex or something. Does it go, you know, anywhere else in all of these other places that, uh, we can, you know, the community and we can deploy new algorithmic market operations modules. And so it's almost like this hive mind of monetary policy, right? These expansion and contraction votes. And I think that that's kind of where kind of DeFi 2.0 is, is going, right? Like Ohm, the thing that's really interesting about it is that Ohm holders can, can vote and get together and be like, where do we direct the own liquidity, right? What bonds do we buy and accrue balance sheet assets, right? Things like Tokamak, which are kind of really interesting that are up and coming. And they basically are an abstract concept of deploying liquidity anywhere, right? The, the token holders get to decide, like in, in this formalized mechanism, get some deposits of different assets, right? In these Tokamak reactors. And then the token holders exactly vote on what to do with them. Like, how do you deploy them? How do you match them to another reactor pair and then deploy the liquidity? And it's all in the kind of ethos of protocols, deploying capital, controlling where their assets are as kind of a coherent entity. That's kind of what my you know Twitter thread the other day was about and, and how protocols are kind of emerging as a emergent entity, right? Like, like an actual, you know, firm, people call them DAOs on chain, right? But the main idea is that instead of just a bunch of incentive mechanisms loosely coupled, there's actual complex economic coordination going on, right? And so what we're trying to do at Frax is basically do complex economic coordination of monetary policy, right? To, to stabilize a uh, stable coin on chain to exchange rate of one token, $1, right? And, and get people that are, you know, holders of the same token distribution, right? Of one governance token to expand and contract the supply properly and essentially control this kind of algorithmic central bank. So it's yeah. like the keys to the money printer. I think I've yeah. seen you say that somewhere before. Yeah, right. Because there's there's a lot of th these different memes, right? So, like for example, the convex token CVX, right, is is like the the keys to the you know curve you know inflation rewards, right? Because they they control so much of the VECRV supply. So if you hold a bunch of convex tokens, it's kind of the the keys to where the inflation goes, right? But no one is really the keys to the stablecoin money printer, right? And it's kind of a funny meme because, you know, it's it's the classic money printer go burr, but you can actually, you know, hold a, a governance token and, and become part of that that meme. Yeah, it's super, super powerful. I don't, it makes me wonder what the second order effects are for, say, like this, you know, automated uh, monetary policy on the frac side and then this, you know, kind of cohesive, protocol hive mind in tokamak like i mean you guys had there was a bit of a you know intense last 24 hours in the reactor race in order to um for frax to spin up a reactor 
first of all, tell us tell us a bit uh, a bit about that that whole um, reactor race situation, and then also, um, you know, how what are the implications of of a system like uh, Tokamak and and um, Frax, and then also how Ohm kind of you know how these three systems kind of uh, tie into each other. Yeah, so I actually really like the the Tokamak design, Carson and and the team over there, and those guys are um, some of the the smartest guys when it comes to thinking about abstract liquidity and like where where like it's going and and the designing of like liquidity not only just incentives but deployment so tokamak is super exciting i'm i'm actually uh i can't wait until our uh fxs reactor goes live the the cool thing is when we we won and fxs was was number 1 out of 42 and that actually surprised a lot of people because the first thing I did actually when looking at how the core competition was working. So for, for people that didn't follow it closely or haven't uh, looked it up, there's 42 protocols. Olympus was one of them and, and you guys won, which is super exciting. Frax came in first and there was, I think there's Sushi, Tracer Dow and Alchemix, I think were, were the other ones. And the first thing uh, I saw was that people can change their votes around, right? And the competition rules are, are like really unique. People can reallocate their votes. They can change stuff around even until the last minute. So I was running around the whole time trying to rally like community people, people that held a bunch of FXS that also held a bunch of toke and then posting about it. But one of the first things I actually did was kind of wait a few days because the thing I didn't want to do was get a bunch of votes and then the last like 48 or 72 hours or something, you know, other people have you know, say super exciting stuff. And then, you know, everyone changes their vote. And then, you know, it's the classic, you, you got to finish the race, right? It, it doesn't matter who's leading the competition in like, like 91st, 90% of the, the actual competition. It's the last 10% and whoever crosses the finish line actually matters, right? In, in, in the history books. So the thing that I did is I actually kind of waited. I, you know, FXS was, I think like fourth all the way down to like ninth or 10th. Uh, most of the competition, but I think in the last 24 hours we're like fifth, fourth, third, and then I think it was the last few hours actually that we were like second and, and first when every everyone was changing positions and stuff. So a lot of people were surprised, but it was like kind of planned in terms of you know making sure that we tweet about it the most, get people voting the most uh, in the last you know 24 hours because that that's what really matters, right? Definitely, Sam. Yeah, it was uh, so fun to watch. It was like a little game that all of DeFi got to look at. I think lots of people will be looking at it and saying, how can we do something like that? Because attention is like the sort of biggest draw card that you can have for your protocol. Because if no one's looking at it, no one's going to buy it, right? Yeah, 100%. In fact, that's actually the thing that was going through my mind and kind of what got me to, you know, think about the V V3 design for Frax is I kind of want the the monetary expansion, like the the money printing stuff, to be as interesting and, you know, you know, like attention filled as, as that. So they did a really, really good job. So hats off to to the Tokamak guys and, and Carson and everyone there. And I think that, you know, they they really, really did 
a great job with governance and, and how everything was working. So basically, the V3 design for Fraxis trying to capture some of that uh, some of that magic, right? And, and I think more governance votes being lively uh, about that stuff is, is really important. Very cool. So Tokenmark is like a giant AMO with extra assets in it. Is that how you see it? Sort of. It's, it's kind of like a liquidity, you know, AMO, like market operations. They don't have their own stable coin, right, that they like hypothecate against collateral. They're kind of a liquidity hive mind, right? And they, they don't have to keep like the price of anything stable, right? They have to find the most interesting and profitable places to deploy their capital. It's almost a little bit like a quasi market making hedge fund hive mind kind of thing, which is super cool. I think if they basically, you know, team up with something like Frax, where we can print a lot of money, right, like stable currency, and they essentially kind of deploy it for with their, you know, hive mind of like liquidity directors and figuring out what to do with it and stuff, that would be a killer combination, right? Because they will be really, really good at finding the best uses for the capital that they get allocated. And Frax is really good at expanding and contracting the supply of a stable coin to make sure that the purchasing power is stable, right? That the price is always $1. So it's almost like specialization of kind of monetary policy. And, and that's like really cool to see, right? And, and when we actually are able to get a Frax tokamak reactor and, and not just the FXS one, that will be a really cool moment because then they'll be able to get a lot of algorithmically expansion, you know, dollars to to allocate. Yeah, super exciting. <laughs> Thinking about all the things you could do, you've kind of got a little bit of backing behind each FXS because you've got what nearly seven million dollars of ohm. Is that money in your treasury or this CVX that you have in there from? expanding supply into the curve pools. What is happening with that kind of money? Is it being used to back fracks or is it kind of in a treasury and we can consider that to kind of back each FXS? Are you kind of moving in a little bit of an ohm direction? Maybe you can tell us about what's going on with the treasury and what your plans for that in the future are. Yeah, uh, that's actually a good question because I think people are... a little bit sleeping on how fast kind of Frax's balance sheet is is growing. It's actually growing, you know, as maybe not as quickly as Ohm, but it is growing extremely quickly compared to most, you know, DeFi protocols. And what we do with, with the treasury is that a lot of this stuff is in AMO contracts, which means that they can be used immediately to, if we need to, keep the exchange rate of Frax, the, the stable coin, stable at, at a dollar if we have to. But like, for example, we don't ever intend to sell the CVX or the Ohm or the strategic assets that we have because we think it's it's really important, right? We're, I think we're the largest protocol owner of CVX out of anyone else as, as far as I know, for example. So we have a very big seat at the you know governance table of that. And I think we're... I believe we're also the largest protocol holders of Ohm. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. I think we we hold about, you know, seven, eight million dollars worth of 
home. Do you guys know of anyone that, that holds more? No. Not anyone in that size. I know a few protocols own, like, uh, I think maximum. Otherwise, it's like a million. And then some others are sort of getting a frax pair into their treasury. But yeah, keep please keep going, Sim. Yeah. So our balance sheet is, is used for both strategic purposes and uh, for keeping the exchange rate of, of frax at peg, right? And the thing is, there's an order to, you know, how we would deploy some of these things, right? So for example, we don't intend to uh, ever sell Ohm or CBX because they're very important to our balance sheet. But like, they are all backing Frax and then later the, the FPI to, to keep the exchange rate the same because they're in these AMO contracts, which essentially means like, they can be used to contract the supply of Frax or when we were in our Ohm accumulation phase, print Frax to acquire Ohm, right? That's how we actually acquired a lot of Ohm, which is uh, grown. So we're able to essentially expand our balance sheet and then contract the balance sheet to contract the supply of our, our stablecoin if we have to. And what's cool is that'll be formalized too, right? And in Frax B3, FXS holders can vote, okay, what's the order of all of these AMOs, right? Like, do we first contract the supply of Frax on Fuse or, or Curve or Uniswap V3 to, to keep the peg, or do we do something else, right? So all of the balance sheet assets are backing Frax. They're backing our, our stablecoin. And so that's why the, the peg is so solid, because people can see they can be rapidly deployed to keep the exchange rate you know, at a dollar, just like kind of a central bank. They'd have to burn through all those assets before the sort of peg would lose its peg. That's correct. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I hadn't realized that. And so the CVX is in a, a pool or is the Ohm staked? I'm not sure. How yeah. So so the Ohm is, is staked as S-Ohm. The okay. CVX is, is a little different because in order to partake in CVX governance, you have to stake it uh for a longer amount of time so the liquidation of that is is not instant so it would probably be closer to the, like a last line of defense um but if it if it came to that yeah we we can unstake the the cvx and once it's unlocked you know uh sell it if, if that happened but hopefully we we never do and so far it's been such a you know rock solid peg and, and a perfect peg but that's kind of how um Frax works. So the market can see that, right? Like if you look at the smart contracts, you can see that they, they can be liquidated um, if necessary. And I think that that's what kind of gives confidence to Frax, even though it's like 82 or 83% uh, you know, fully backed, which isn't 100%. You know that there's a really, really large balance sheet of assets that can be used to keep the peg rock solid, which has worked really well. I, I kind of had two questions about the AMOs uh, specifically. One is, can anyone or any protocol propose a new AMO? And then also, do the AMOs themselves, like obviously they play, each specific AMO plays by a certain set of rules. Is there like a cross-communication? And so it's like if there's, you know, um, something needs to be done in, in one, will that just operate on its own and, and won't affect the other strategies? Has there ever been a consideration of, of having this kind of uh, cross-communication, this connected um, system across all the different market operations? Yeah, so the, there's a lot of them, right? And so right now, anyone can propose anything. In fact, right now, we want to 
intake uh, a lot of rye, um, which is the reflexor uh, stablecoin, instead of holding more USDC. So there's like a governance vote for a rye AMO. Anyone can propose them. In fact, I don't think I I actually didn't start that one. Stefan and, and the reflexor guys did. So turning them off and on are governance decisions and you know the, the core team deploys the AMOs to spec. Then right now, the order of them is managed by a core team and, and governance and an MSIG, right? Which is exactly what we want to change in V3. We want to have them be done in, in real time by uh, FXS stakers, right? The FXS holders. And so we can do that if there's basically a system of voting similar to gauges where you order the, the weights of, of the AMOs. Right now in FRAX V2, they're, they're just governance votes for turning them on and off and, and new ones. And then kind of the order of them are managed by the, the core team and, and M6. Okay, Very cool. that makes a lot of sense. Maybe we can talk about the future of any partnership with them. We are on a Olympus podcast after all. And maybe you can tell us about how the Olympus Pro is going for you guys. Yeah, of course. So always, uh, like I was saying before, always really interested in expanding our cooperation, because I think there's just so many gigabrains in, in both of our communities, the Fraximalists and, and the Omis. I, I really think that with the FPI, we we should partially back it with Ohm. I think it's it's a it's a no-brainer. In fact, one of the things I wanted to talk to Zeus about as we get closer to that is how that would work. Um, we're also in the first cohort of Olympus Pro, and as you guys know, I'm trying to get the Everpedia guys to also join in, in the next cohort. So, it, you know, suffice to say, we really like it. And I think it's a really, really cool, you know, kind of pro managed, you know, protocol service that I think a lot of, you know, a lot of protocols should, should use. It's basically very efficient. It's very DeFi 2.0 like, right? And I think it'll be, it'll be really big. So I can't wait for you guys to scale it, see who else is, is next in the, in the cohort. Hopefully the Everpedia guys, and yeah, I mean, everything so far has been been really great. Thanks, Sam. So we know you're working on Frax Price Index. Where are you up to with the crypto native price index? Yeah, so I think that that's honestly the, the second innovation that we're developing that's kind of as important as the AMO stuff, which is like, you know, algorithmically targeting an exchange rate, right? Like a price. Um, the protocol is only going to have two stable coins, um, the FPI and, and Frax. And, you know, when we kind of designed Frax and it was working and, and things like that, people were asking us, wait, can you just do this for a lot of synthetic assets? Can you do this for like, you know, fractional gold price and, and like, you know, fractional like euros or, or things like that kind of like how synthetics is like a platform for many different synthetic assets. And I just said that you, you can, you technically can, but the only thing that kind of Frax is really interested in is money. And we're not trying to be like a platform for synthetic assets and, and stuff. So the, the FPI is the only other stablecoin that, that we're working on. The, the unique, you know, crypto native, CPI with a, you know, completely, you know, new unit of account that's purchasing power stable against 
a basket of you know consumer items and crypto native indices. That's actually coming along really well. It's it's kind of difficult to design the staking mechanisms and and things like that for it because on one hand, if you think about it, like imagine if for example Ohm was uh, targeting like some inflation rate and you know CPI index at the at the top of its uh, its kind of price band, it wouldn't be able to offer you know the hyper growth 8,000% APY that gets a lot of people excited right now because 8,000% 8, is way above inflation, right? It's, it's way, way above that. And if it was just like 10% or something like that, it wouldn't be that exciting. You can kind of get that kind of yield. And so what we're trying to do when, when designing the FPI is come up with a new stable coin that is a completely new unit of account that doesn't, you know, peg to the dollar and, and has a CPI based peg, but is just as exciting and interesting and, you know, has the, the same kind of, you know, get into this and, and get involved feel as uh, Olympus DAO, right? We can't really do that with a, with a really large APY, but we have some really cool designs that we're tinkering with to basically make it just as exciting and interesting while, you know, allowing people to have a, a pegged stablecoin, right? Like the thing that is different with Ohm is it's backed, it's not pegged. So there's a there's a RFE and floor, but Ohm can go, you know, as, as high as possible, which is really cool. And it's not really targeting kind of a, a CPI component. So one of the things I was actually thinking about was, you know, part of the FPI could even be backed by Ohm, right? Because one of the main things that, you know, people talk about with ohm is that it's like a reserve uh currency the the main thing is that it's it's a reserve currency meaning that you can hold it and and you could see the actual really high growth but since you don't actually know whether holding ohm is going to you know increase in price or change in price at the top you know, and, and keep stable to a basket of consumer items like food, you know, healthcare, you know, cars, all this stuff. It's a little bit more difficult to save and, and plan with Ohm, but it makes it a really, really good backing asset because you can see the API growth and the API growth, uh, at least for the foreseeable future that I can kind of see with how fast it's growing is definitely going to be significantly like higher than inflation so it's like very inflation resistant Ooh, where do i start i have so many kind of questions on how ohm could look to back you know an fpi but i was like more interested in you know how do you kind of find reliable data to kind of track a lot of the off-chain stuff when you're kind of tinkering and building this you know fpi have you kind of found uh, it difficult to kind of track a lot of the cpi metrics um, in the real world or is that something that's like pretty straightforward yeah, so that's a great question because a lot of the things people say about the CPI is like inflation is way higher than 2.5. And I actually believe that, right? I actually am one of the proponents that think that that's correct, at least for right now in, in the economic you know environment currently. But the cool thing is that if we're bringing on the classical CPI on chain and we're actually working with Chainlink to create a custom uh, CPI oracle for that, just for the FPI, we can modify it on chain with governance and, and just different algorithms to actually adjust it to what the users and people that actually want to use FPI think 
is is correct, right? So if people have a problem with the the current F, uh, CPI and they want the FPI to have a, a different exposure to different weights of, of consumer items, we can actually do that on chain, right? Because it's an entirely mm. new uh, unit of account. We don't have to kind of passively take the the Federal Reserve's monetary policy, which is really really powerful, right? Because all the dollar uh, pegged stablecoins, Frax included, right? Dai, all of these things. They're essentially passive takers of the Fed's monetary policy, right? You just mm. you just follow what the Fed does and make sure one token equals one dollar, right? So effectively, you're just following everything that the Fed says and taking it at at face value. But the FPI can actually. Uh, adjust and, and change depending on what people that are using it actually think, right? We can change the indices. We can have crypto native indices. One of the cool things that I think is, is really important is I think following the average kind of gas price of mm. Ethereum and, you know, maybe even like Bitcoin or something is really important because just like how, you know, the internet is is something that you you know keeps your standard of living the same and people always use the internet they need electricity they need oil and gas prices and things like that i think that for the 21st century being able to settle value across the the leading distributed ledgers are you know the the prices of those things are just as important as the price of of gas like literal gas, physical gas, right? And so we can add stuff like that to the FPI that the CPI doesn't track. Yeah, that's that sounds super powerful. You've got FPI, you've got you know AMMFs, you've got the decentralization ratio. Where where can we? What, what do you, what's over in the water in LA? Like we need we need a we need a sip of that. Cause <laughs> you're too creative um, on Twitter. Like, can you go into depth on you know kind of the automated money market funds and this kind of decentralization ratio that you touch on on Twitter. I know Frax at the moment, you know, I mean, from from inception, obviously it was, you needed uh, a lot of USDC to mint Frax, but obviously with FXS absorbing a lot of that volatility, it's now starting to, you know, um, become quite decentralized. So do you want to kind of touch on how Frax is moving, you know, the decentralization ratio of Frax is increasing and then also, you know, what a automated money market fund is uh, from your perspective? Yeah. So one thing, you know, that there was always a common and justified critique of Frax is when we started, we were predominantly backed by USDC, right? We just intake in USDC as collateral to try to keep things simple and, and make sure kind of our stability mechanisms and, and our theories actually worked without, you know, having the collateral be very volatile. Uh, recently, what we did is we developed this way of measuring the decentralization ratio of actually any stablecoin, although we use it mainly for fracks, to see how much of a stablecoin's value actually comes from uh, fully permissionless and decentralized collateral. And the way we do that is actually pretty simple. It's, uh, it's like a recursive function that basically looks at what assets a you know, stablecoin protocol or, you know, anything like Ohm or Frax or, or DAI and stuff hold and track it all the way down. So for example, Frax is backed by some USDC. So that value is treated as zero when calculating the decentralization ratio. It's also backed partly by um, Curve LP tokens, right? And 
what we do is we actually break down the Curve LP tokens to the underlying pieces. So half of the Curve LP token is FRAX, right? So we remove that because you can't back yourself with more FRAX. So 50% of that is gone. Then the remaining 50% is 3CRV, right? Which is Curve's three stablecoins, DAI, USDC, and USDT. Well, 66% of that half is already not decentralized, right? So we actually remove that as well from the decentralization ratio calculation. You're left with DAI, and then DAI itself, again, if you recursively follow what DAI is backed by, is around 60% USDC, and then about 40% you know, over-collateralized ETH and, and over-collateralized crypto, which is decentralized, right? So that 40% of one third of one half of the curve LP tokens is decentralized value, right? If you recursively follow all of the assets down to their underlying. And so we actually count that as decentralized value backing fracks, but not the other pieces. And you can do this with literally every single other asset, right? So for example, ETH is super, super easy. It's 100% decentralized. We have some ETH, so we, we count that value as collateral, right? If, for example, we have CUSDC, which is USDC deposited and compound, that also counts as zero, right? Because you first, you look at CUSDC and then you see, okay, what is that underlying? Okay, that's USDC. USDC is 100% you know, centralized. There's no decentralized value. You completely discount that. And so you can create this algorithm where it just tracks all of the underlying value of every single asset that the protocol can use to conduct monetary policy with, and you can get this ratio. So for example, FRAX's decentralization ratio is about give or take, depending on what assets it's you know currently holding today, about 50 to 60% uh, decentralized. So that actually means that 40-ish, you know, 40 to 50% of FRAX's collateral, like when you follow it all the way down, is partly fiat coins or things with centralized custodial risk, right? And our goal is obviously to get that to the DR to 90 plus percent, where 90% plus of the uh, backing collateral is entirely from decentralized uh, places. And so there's no regulatory risk. There's no risk of what happens if, you know, one day we wake up and, you know, all, all the fiat coins are blacklisting things and, and things like that. Yeah. So with this algorithm, we can actually do a lot of stuff. Oh, very cool. I don't know if you've seen Preston Van Loon is working on this new project called Cryptex and they sort of allow you to mint a coin against the like market cap of crypto. So if the value of the market cap of crypto goes up, then this coin goes up in value. How does the FPI kind of come into existence? Is it is it sort of printed by Frax or maybe you're not even up to there yet? And then the second question I had was, who is working on it with you? Are there any sort of big names? I saw Eric Weinstein retweeted something of yours, Sam, which uh, must have caused a bit of a buzz. Yeah, so I, I've heard of the, I actually have seen, I don't know by name, but I did know the the coin that tracks the total crypto market cap. What, what is it called again? I've seen it like a few months ago. I briefly yeah, looked at it. Cryptex. 
Cryptex. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I I'll just check looked it, it up. I didn't know the name off the top of my no, head. It, it is cool because it kind yeah. of tracks, I think, um, what I think what CMC considers like the total crypto market cap, uh, if I remember correctly. It's actually a pretty cool project. Um, I don't know how they fully, fully back it, but in terms of the FPI, it's actually interesting because we target the FPI of having an exchange rate that, that tracks the, the CPI. We can't actually hold like food on chain or right. Or we can't have like custodial assets that are like off chain that like track, you know, uh, cars or, or things like that, because then you, you run into, again, you run into like the centralization and regulatory risk. So it's, it's actually really interesting because we're in the prime position with, with Fraxis Tech to build something like the FPI, which targets an exchange rate of uh, a consumer price index, right? Or, or like a crypto native consumer price index. So the things we hold in our you know, treasury, so to speak, or, or the collateral backing for the FBI, they don't have to be things like food or, or that actual like real like gas or, or things like that so that the treasury grows you know, if, the, if the gas price goes up or, or something like that in, in the real world. And so that's why I was, I was thinking there's some really cool synergies to back parts of it with Ohm and kind of expand on our cooperation together. So the FBI will hold like a bunch of very different assets as long as the exchange rate of the FBI tracks a standard of living as defined by the different indices that, that it's going to have uh, by governance. Very cool. And are you working with any sort of public intellectuals on that? Are there any like university professors or other people involved? Are you bringing sort of the the meat space with you, Sam, to, to this FBI? So, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of intellectual interest. In fact, Bology uh, is, is an investor in, in Frax. And one of the main things that really interested him was, was FBI and, and not kind of the the dollar pegged, you know, stable coin and, and like the, the frac stable coin. And he's really big in this, in the space of trying to develop the, the stuff that he calls a flat coin. He actually thinks that like the FPI can be the first kind of flat coin, which has flat purchasing power against, you know, some, some basket of items that holds people's standard of living constant. Right. And so a lot of people have kind of gotten involved in, in the, in, you know, behind the scenes and, you know, Bology uh, invested and there's also other, you know, protocols. So like Joey from Faye uh, is, is super interested in this stuff. And we've been trying to think about ways to collaborate there. And I think it captures a lot of, you know, the the DeFi space guys, because they know where the market is going and, and, and they kind of believe that kind of the next iteration of this stuff is a, you know, a native unit of account rather than having to rely on on the dollar. In fact, you know, I talked to uh, Stefan from Reflexer, Amin, those guys are, are super big on uh, what we're working on and, and they're kind of working on, on the same thing with, with Rive, except that I think they are working on it from a, you know, kind of like ETH pure uh, angle. So we're, we're all kind of working together on it behind the scenes. So it's very, very exciting. That is super exciting. I mean, evangelists recognize evangelists, right? It seems like. I know that your stance on Bitcoin is is that it can't really, you know, ever be a currency due to the fixed 
supply? You know, what do I do if I'm looking to avoid the like long tail uh, inflationary risks associated with, you know, me working 30 hours a week and my, you know, money is not growing uh, in line with the inflation, you know, like why, why can, you know, Bitcoin never be a currency from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, I'm a obviously super, super big proponent of ETH and, and Bitcoin and everything. It's kind of difficult to be, be bearish on Bitcoin when today we're talking, it's literally at, at its all time high. And so I, I think like Bitcoin is an incredibly good investment. So to, to be completely clear um, and also ETH. And, and uh, the thing is, though, that I think more and more people are starting to understand is an investment is exactly the opposite of, of a currency, right? Because a good currency, you can do accounting. You can uh, use it as your unit of account because it keeps your standard of living the same. It can buy things that are valuable to you, like food, rent, um, you know, electrical costs, gas, and, and everything that you know humans actually need across a uh longer time horizon than than bitcoin bitcoin will go up it'll come down it's uh it's good to hold in the extreme extreme long term but if you have all of your money in volatile assets unless you have extremely high capital and and basically have a lot of a value that you know you're you're basically completely well off you want to have some amount of stability in parts of your portfolio, right? So I'm not saying people should sell Bitcoin for FPI. In fact, they should have a lot of good investments in ETH and, and BTC and uh, all of these things, but they should do their accounting in something that keeps their standard of living the same. And everyone does that with dollars for, uh, you know, for everything, right? And, and so I think that having a native unit of account in crypto to be able to do that is extremely important. Um, that's, that's the main thing. I think that, you know, there's a lot of BTC maxis that say everything is going to be denominated in Bitcoin. And then there's a lot of uh, ETH people that say things will be denominated uh, in ETH and, and stuff like that. But I actually think that ETH and Bitcoin, as well as stuff like OM that are reserve currencies, backing a unit of account is, is more useful, right? I think that people being able to take loans in something that's stable and, and knowing that, for example, they can repay a loan in, in FPI uh, is, is actually much more useful than taking out, for example, a loan in Bitcoin and not knowing that if, you, if you're going to owe like 500K per, per Bitcoin, if, if Bitcoin keeps growing in, in the next few years, right? And that's also why you see people don't take out uh, a lot of loans in Bitcoin, right? Everyone takes out loans in, in dollars. Every Everything that uh, happens on chain in, in the Rari Fuse pools on Aave and Compound, everyone's taking out loans in dollars because they know about what kind of purchasing power they're going to have to repay, right? And that's really important. That's why people don't uh, borrow Bitcoin. They don't borrow ETH as much. They actually borrow dollars against it, right? And so the FPI can be the thing that they take loans against their Bitcoin and, and their ETH. Very cool. Thanks, Sam. So we had a question from an OMI and it's a little bit complicated because they're pretty big brain. So our friend Wallamai says, in Kosa's theory of the firm, 
society gets further, the more things it can do without having to think about it. Even if you're not familiar with the piece, what are some peer-to-peer or DAO-to-DAO patterns that would emerge from this type of environment? Crypto has already started to disintermediate and it has drastically reduced the cost of capital formation. What's next in crypto as artificial intelligence and crypto meet? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty heavy hitting question. I think I think maybe that <laughs> I think it he's referring to one of my Twitter threads about talking about how a lot of kind of DAO operations and stuff are starting to you know internalize a lot of the you know things like liquidity formation and and stuff like that rather than paying for it, right? Which Ohm is is one of the innovators in that. You know, it's important to try to reason about where the entire industry is going, right? And and so if people aren't familiar with the theory of the firm, it's it's like an economic idea that's like, why do corporations and, and companies actually emerge, right? Inside of companies, things aren't priced, right? Uh, everyone always says, you know, pricing information is super important and we need free markets so everything can be priced. But if you think about it, there's these, things, right? These corporations were inside of them. It's not run like a market, right? You don't like, if you work at a company, you don't go. And then, uh, you know, if, if you're a developer, you don't try to bargain every tiny little thing that you do. Or like, if you have a secretary, they don't try to like price what it's going to cost to book a meeting or something. Right. And the interesting thing about the theory of the firm, and if you haven't read it and, and stuff is, is like, where's the boundary, right? Where like the market actually stops, right? And and like a corporation uh, begins, right? Where, where market pricing actually stops occurring because it's more, uh, you know, it's more efficient to do things internally and produce things internally without market pricing mechanisms. People usually don't think about that, right? They think, oh, like the the market price of stuff is super important. The whole like communism pricing uh, issue, you can't have a centrally planned economy because you don't know what the value of everything is, which is correct, right? You can't have the entire world not have prices, but you have these units, these firms, these corporations everywhere where inside of them, there is no market activity, right? People are just cooperating together to produce things. And I think what's really interesting is that's where crypto is going in DeFi 2.0, right? That's kind of my thesis of like every protocol will have these things that they do really efficiently internally, such as for Ohm, you know, providing liquidity against itself and other assets and kind of producing like a, a reserve currency that's backed and, and not pegged for Tokamak, which we were talking about, you know, producing liquidity against different pairs and, and stuff like that, rather than having to um, incentivize farming and, and things like that with fracks. Our thesis is producing monetary policy internally, right, amongst FXS holders to be able to stabilize stuff like fracks and then later the FPI, like an endogenous stablecoin. I think what I'd say the answer to that question is, as more and more stuff becomes, uh, you know, blockchain native, and there's more complex market behavior on chain, you'll actually get more and more kind of DAOs or, or like firms that specialize in certain activities, right. And 
it's just going to get more and more interesting because there's going to be more things produced on chain and and basically you won't have to pay an exorbitant fee to incentivize them right you won't have to have farming for liquidity with like a thousand percent apy and and things like that and when those things happen you can actually uh interact with the different DAOs and and protocols directly rather than have to interact directly with market participants like farmers and, and stuff like that. So the people that kind of are developing stuff in this area, I think, are the you know are kind of the innovators and uh, trailblazers and and like those are the protocols we want to work with, right? So that's why we're super excited to work with Olympus with Tokamak. I don't know. Do you guys have any kind of up and coming protocols you guys see? as well that we didn't really talk about. They're kind of producing things internally at a much more efficient rate. Uh, maybe stuff that I haven't actually even seen myself. Oh, yeah. I was looking at Faye's new thing, which is sort of liquidity as a service. And they're like, here is the new thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that's like a AMO as well. I just, everything I see in terms of the money printing just comes back to be like a sort of, just an expansion exercise into a, like a different market. But I saw you did a partnership with GMX, but there wasn't any details. Maybe that's some alpha you can leak to us, Sam. Yeah, so GMX is on Arbitrum and L2. So they're part of our strategy of integrating stuff on L2. And a lot of what Frax is doing is kind of trying to expand as quickly into uh, L2s and other chains because we have... Like, like we were just talking about, we have an advantage of being able to expand the frac supply and move into these different networks without having to put up costly farms and, and without having to, you know, pay a lot of APY just to get a few million dollars of like liquidity and, and things like that. So uh, GMX is going to be our first uh, Arbitrum uh, partnership. And so be on the lookout for that. And there's uh, there's other stuff we're doing with we're developing some some AMM stuff with uh, ZK Sync and and Starkware. That kind of stuff is is more complicated because the the way that we have to actually write the the ZK proofs and, and things like that for Starkware is uh, is totally different. But we want to be we want to be the first stablecoin on a lot of these L2s that I think are I think they're the future. I think the ZK rollups that are coming are the most important kind of innovation and blockchain space in the probably the past two or three years to be honest very cool yeah 100 percent. i mean with the introduction of um you know frax v3 soon uh and also that obviously the upgrading governance you know even though crypto has an extremely good governance participation in if you compare it to kind of you know traditional corporations what is kind of the next leg up in governance? You know, how do we kind of reduce, you know, voter apathy? And, you know, is that kind of through gasless governance? You know, what, what are your thoughts? How do we kind of gamify the governance? Yeah, like, I, I think it's this, this kind of thing where we formalize what's going to actually be deployed, right? And so, for example, think of like, curve governance for, for gauges and stuff, it's extremely active, right? Like you don't want to forget to vote on, on like a gauge and then not have uh, your weights for, for the next week or something, right? And, and like Tokamak, like we talked about, is extremely active to the point it's almost like 
a movie and competition between the reactors and stuff happening in real time, right? Olympus style governance is one of the most lively things we've seen. The the boring governance, like, oh, like there's a snapshot vote for like this parameter and, and like, does anyone want to like vote on it? And if you do or you don't, you don't really know if your vote matters or, you know, like why it's even happening or, or things like that. Those are the the DeFi 1.0 things that we have to kind of get rid of, right? We want to formalize ways where people know if I'm voting, for example, on this AMO, right, for, for Frax, it's going to print money here, right? And it's very clear. It's very formalized, right? If you're voting on like a curve gauge, it's going to increase the, you know, inflation rate of CRV rewards into that pool. Or like when you vote on like, Ohm, you know, the next asset to intake into the treasury, you're voting on exactly what is backing the, you know, the reserve currency of, of uh, DeFi, right? And getting rid of the boring stuff where no one knows if their vote matters, right? If like, you don't know what it'll do, if your you know, marginal, you know, small token holder here will actually do anything. That's, that's the way to actually formalize capital deployment in DeFi 2.0 is, you know, once that stuff is is more formalized and done, I think that the the voter participation, the governance participation, and all of these things will probably be exponentially larger than stuff like compound voting for for like a, a new asset, which is like a lot of VCs or or like ten different people, and you know that if you vote, it's not going to really do anything, right? Those are the kind of stuff we have to you know, change and, and make more formalized. We want to be conscious of your time. Obviously, we've, we've gone a little bit over here, but let's briefly touch on kind of like your your, your stance from a, a regulatory perspective. Like w- what do you see as the, the future for stable coins? Do you think, and then also for DeFi protocol founders, do you, do you kind of see, you know, increased kind of people moving out of the US to kind of avoid um, some of the gray areas? And do you kind of, how do you even regulate uh, you know, a decentralized system? Do you think it can be done properly? And, and how does the um, DeFi industry kind of communicate um, um, with regu- regulatory bodies and, and governments? How, how can we kind of put our best foot forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there will be a lot more clarity uh, in the next 12 months from, you know, regulators and in the industry because they can't, you know, they can't ignore it, right? It's like a 2.6 trillion dollar uh, industry. But I think if protocols are sufficiently decentralized, and and the definition of that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be totally anonymous, uh, but they're sufficiently decentralized in the sense that it's it's not you know decentralization theater. And I think I, I use uh, I think it's Gensler's own terms there. It's actually decentralized so that you know, it's not managed by anyone. So think Frax V3, right? Where it's like any token holders will just totally decide the monetary policy, right? From from then on. I think it's those kinds of fully decentralized protocols. There's no real, you know, way to actually shut them down, right? Think of Ethereum or Bitcoin. You, you can't actually shut them down, right? The other thing that's really important to consider when it comes to stablecoin regulation specifically is that even if the collateral is you know fully decentralized and, and things like that like we talked about earlier 
if you're still pegged to the U.S. dollar, you're still passively following the Federal Reserve's monetary policy, right? And you could argue that the, the peg is not decentralized, right? You could argue that the thing you're using as your, you know, your stability, your unit of account, your definition of a standard of living is actually whatever Jerome Powell considers that, right? And, and that's not decentralized, right? And so that's the other thing, you know, we're trying to solve with the FPI. I think Ohm is also trying to, you know, have a, a real answer to that. And I think people forget that the peg of a stable coin should also be something that's endogenous to, to crypto, right? Something that we create, we define as, you know, a stable unit of account. And that's kind of the, the vision with the FPI. So with regulatory stuff, I think the most important thing with stable coins is don't forget that the peg itself is uh, a point of centralization. We have to try to actually redefine that as well. Yeah, I think what better protocols to you know, work on that than the ones you've mentioned today. I mean, I only I have kind of one final question. Um, I mean, we're coming, we're actually doing like a full circle here. We touched on Dubai in the beginning, but um, yeah, you just come back from Dubai. What is your kind of favorite crypto conference meetup uh, in recent memory? And you know, where where are we? Uh, what's the location for FOMO four? Where where are we? Where are we setting that up? <laughs> so I've traveled to a lot of different places. You know, in my time uh, in crypto before the pandemic and now, you know, after I went to BTC Miami, um, you know, I'm unfortunately missing out on ETH Lisbon, but I think my two favorite places are, are probably Singapore and, and Dubai. Dubai was a, a fantastic time and, and a great place. So I think either somewhere in Asia, so Singapore would be a, a prime location, uh, or Dubai is, is fantastic. So I, I definitely think uh, those would be the the top of, uh, of the list for, for me, I'd love to, uh, go to FOMO like in, in physically either in Dubai or Singapore or maybe somewhere in Europe. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, ETH stuff is ETH Paris, ETH Lisbon, but, uh, maybe we could do somewhere a little bit farther away from both Europe and, and the U S. Yeah. Maybe, maybe cool. Mark, Mark and I can, uh, advocate for Australia. I don't think many people are going to travel down there, but we'll see what happens. We don't want it in Australia. We want <laughs> no, I, I actually love, I love Australia. I've, I've never, uh, been there and I was invited to, um, you know, a, a small like crypto event, you know, back in 2019 and I really regret not going. So hopefully actually Australia would be great. Hey, Mark? I'd, I'd love what are to you go. talking about, Mark? Where are you <laughs> we'll, going? No, I'm, it's great for everyone else. We don't get to travel anywhere. Though. You're definitely welcome to, uh, yeah, we'll host you when you come down, Sam. We'll take you around, show you the sites. Yeah, we'd love to. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think I think that's it for today, Sam. We really appreciate you you know, taking the time out to join us for almost an hour and a half now. Where can the Omis and anyone else who's listening find more about 1v3 and where can they find you on, on socials and, and if there's any other... Um, articles or any any other recommendations for, for content that you recommend we can always put in the show notes as well yeah of course I literally if I'm not asleep I'm you know or I guess you know momentarily at a, at a conference I'm always either on telegram or twitter I like to get a lot of my you know philosophical thoughts on on twitter and I'm always available in, in the Frax Telegram group, you know, at Frax Finance, same Twitter. Um, and, you know, always feel free to reach out to me. I'm super 
super available and would always love to talk and, and be back and also talk at FOMO. So thanks so much for having me, guys. It was great. No. Yes, I can confirm Sam is very accessible. You can go onto the Telegram and more likely than not, your random question about Frax will be answered by the founder himself. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What better, thanks, what better way? We'll catch you with news of the week. Next week, we've got Twitter Spaces, we've got Agora TV coming up and the Sound Bank. And if you want to keep up to date, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Olympus Agora and to join the Discord and react in resources to get access to the Agora channel. And we'll be waiting there to answer your questions and for you to help us build out Agora. So till next week, Omis, we'll see you later. See you guys.